everybody, welcome to Three Right Turns, the podcast that really doesn't give a shit about the two major parties and their national conventions. Hey, I'm your host, Aaron. Hello, howdy. Say, have you registered to vote yet? Requested your absentee or mail-in ballot if you're eligible to do so? If not, get to vote411.org because time's running out. All right, on to our main event here. Last time on Three Right Turns, we heard from Corey, the former host of Moving Forward, and we discussed some of his struggles that he had with his conservative co-host, Rio Publican, and concerns that he had sharing a platform with him. And since I'm going to be joining Rio as a recurring guest host, uh, part of a rotating panel of guest hosts on Moving Forward, um, with the podcast Moving Forward, sure, uh, I, th- I thought it would be a good idea to try to talk some of these issues through with him in advance. And it turns out we had a lot of ground to cover. You're going to hear a conversation that spans a lot of different topics, such as what role can or should moderate conservatives and democratic socialists play in a post-Trump Democratic Party? What areas can conservatives and progressives work together on? How can we most effectively move the Overton window in terms of messaging and optics and ways to create space for good legislation? What lessons can white moderates learn from looking back at past moderate support or resistance to previous civil rights causes? Is fascism and communism an equal threat to our democracy in 2020? Like I said, it's a jam-packed conversation, and I want to get right to it. Real Republican is the anchoring host of the podcast Moving Forward, which aims to champion the adoption of what they call human-centered capitalism. You can find and subscribe to their podcast at movingforwardpod.com. All right, Rio, uh, we're having you back on Three Right Turns. It's it's great to have you back on, by the way, um, uh, because, thanks. you know, you, you guys, you and Corey recently broke up on Moving Forward. Um, I'm going to be going on Moving Forward and... I mean, the plan is in some kind of recurring rotational role with uh, other uh, liberal and progressive hosts. Um, but I thought, you know, I, we, we talked about Corey or we talked. I talked to Corey last time about, um, you know, our concerns uh, with how progressives can work with, um, you know, centrist Republicans or how we can reform the Democratic Party or perhaps the Republican Party. Um, and it, it seems that a lot of this you know, hesitation on, on, uh, Corey's standpoint and the stuff that I've felt too, when I've listened to moving forward podcast and, and seen you interact on social media is that there's just seems like this, just utter disdain for social, to any kind of talk about socialism. In fact, I think you've said that that should be outside the bounds of what's accepted conversation in political thought. And it's frustrating because I feel like, one of the reasons we're so far behind Europe in terms of our social safety nets and programs, um, you know, healthcare, for example, is because we did purge all the socialists um, and and labor uh, out of American politics uh, in the second wave of Red Scare McCarthyism. And we didn't have anyone, you know, making those stands for the left and for for labor. So what you had is you had centrist arguing with extreme right people. And that defined the bounds of our political conversation. So we ended up in, you know, Trump, Trump land because the the right always pulled right. The center couldn't hold. And we just marched rightward. 
Uh, so that's kind of like if, if and, and if we're going to continue to kind of like say that socialism, we can't have anyone that uh, describes themselves as socialist or socialist curi- uh, curious or like wants to critique capitalism uh, or wants to critique, um, you know, private property, things like that, the, the foundations of it. I think we'll have more of the same, like we'll get rid of Trump, which is great, but we'll eventually end up in a configuration where we have perhaps a smarter Trump or a more competent Trump. And that would be very bad. Um, so have I got, I mean, I, I guess, have I got it wrong or maybe did we have a misunderstanding of terms here? Um, you know, what, what's, what, what's, what's your response to, to that manifesto, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm happy to respond to that. I'm not seeing my, um, audio lines on my end. Are you, is that, am I coming through on your end, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, it, it's bouncing on the, my end of Zencaster. Okay, good. All right. Yeah. So, um, but where to go with that? The first thing I would say is I definitely did not mean to imply that people shouldn't be allowed to debate issues. Um, I'm definitely, I'm a pretty much a free speech absolutist. I think people should be free to talk about anything they want. Kind of like, I think if people support, you know, fascism and Nazism, they have a right to talk about that. But that doesn't mean that I want one of our major parties endorsing it. You see the difference? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So that's the first thing to say about that. So just to clear that up, I definitely, I think you said in your conversation with Corey or someplace, I heard you say, does Rio want to make me, make me stop my podcast? Does he want to turn off my microphone? So no, I definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> and in fact, I, I had, I don't know if you saw, I recently had a, self-identified communist on moving forward um and he's going to be one of the recurring guest stars and i'm actually getting the impression that you might be yourself significantly to the left of Corey, um although more amenable to conversation with people like me about topics like socialism so um that might actually be really healthy and interesting for both of our listeners yeah, I, 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 it's it's hard for me to determine who's more left or like once you get to places where, you know, like, like Corey's at, like I, I, you know, I, I definitely know there's people to the left of me for sure. Um, and there's people decidedly more authoritarian than me for damn sure. Um, but like I, 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 I that's that's something I was kind of because I thought I was more to the left of Corey. But then he came on three right turns with a ball of fire you know, pacing his studio box like a caged tiger. And I'm like, damn, man, maybe this guy, he's maybe he's got, got it on me a couple places. But um, well, he's yeah, definitely filled with righteous rage. Um, and as am I, as should we all be in this political mm-hmm. moment. Sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, for example, Corey, part of the reason he doesn't want to talk to me about the issue of socialism is because he's convinced that there is absolutely no such thing as any socialist influence in the Democratic Party. Um, and I kind of understand how he might think that living in, you know, a red state or a swing state, but in uh-huh. blue states where the Republican Party is now essentially a, a third party, mm-hmm. the Democratic Party has split into at least two factions. There's the side I call the liberal party, um, which is the more right wing part of the Democratic Party. And then there's the neo-Marxist party, which is the left wing part of the Democratic Party. And that's very real and alive. Yeah, I, I, I would say that that's true. Yeah, exactly. I think I, 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 I still think you that like, you said you're a member of the the Democratic Socialists of America. Yeah, I mean, I yes, this is where like I describe myself. Okay, 
I describe myself as socialist curious because um, (laughs) (laughs) I recognize, obviously, how much capitalism has done, how much market forces has done to lift the world out of poverty. But I also see where, you know, capitalism has done a lot to harm us here in the country and harm people around the world. And it's, it's actually astonishing if you... Um, you know, Marx's writing is what 150 years old at this point, and there's definitely been, you know, it's one of the frustrations of people that just are Marx, 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 Marx. It's like, you know, socialist thought has moved a lot, uh, just as you know, capitalist thought has, and and since the days of uh, uh, shit, um, Adam Smith was it? Uh, yeah, wealth yeah, of yeah, nations. Definitely, yeah, Milton Friedman was a a bit of an up- upgrade from Adam Smith. <laughs> right. So it's like you know, there's there's definitely been movements, but even when you saw, talk about neo Marxists, like I don't know because I've never been lucky enough to live in a blue state. Uh, I've been cursed to wander <laughs> the the red states of of uh, uh, the the Midwest. But when you say neo Marxist in like California. Are we talking like at the state representative level? And, and because like I don't think people that are card carrying members, for example, of the DSA are necessarily neo Marxists. Um, there sure are. There's sure there's a lot of them. Um, but I, I don't know. Like are, and is Marxist bad or is, or is like is Marxist Leninist bad is, you know, like uh, I, I would say that when you start getting a Marxist Leninism, that's where you start getting into the authoritarian. Certainly when you start talking like up Mao. Uh, you start getting into authoritarianism, um, and that that is definitely something worrisome. And like I said, I think people should be free to debate the merits of that in an open society, but I would certainly want to purge that kind of stuff out of a democratic party. So when you say neo-Marxist, like, mm-hmm. get, can you give me some examples? Because I might even have to do some, some research on people's policies and standings. One philosophical distinction between um, Marxism and neo-Marxism is that Marxism was decidedly modernist, and was significantly more rational and pro-science, whereas neo-Marxism has a um, decidedly postmodernist bend and a very uh, morally relativist bend, which dist- which differences it from Marxism significantly. So you're saying that, like, because um, because honestly, man, I want to hear like uh, um, postmodernist thrown around in political discussion. I, I kind of cover my hand in my wallet and reach for my gun. <laughs> uh, because that can mean so many things to many different people. But what you're saying is like, cause, cause I think a lot of people don't understand Marx because what he was saying, and this is why I, I, a lot of Marxists are lazy asses when it comes to politics are that socialism and communism will inevitably follow yep. capitalism because what you'll do is you'll get so much productivity power from this, from the the automation will just continue, foresaw that this just continued to increase. And that, that prediction has been borne out to where you will be able to have this vast labor class that is no longer needed yet. The capitalists need them to buy things. So the only, the only way to resolve that dialect is or that 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 um, that that those two forces in opposition within the system is to reform it into some socialist. So the labor actually has some say in the means of production and can reap more of the benefits of the fruits of that labor, and thus you can still have people buying things and selling things, and the system won't collapse upon itself. And he thought that. Socialism would be a natural occurring. It wouldn't be a revolution that sweeps a country. It would be as a result of 
literacy being 100%, standards of education being high, automation being high, and everyone in this enlightened state would be like, you know what, why are we still doing this labor exploitation? Why are we enduring riots in the streets when we could just fairly divide this stuff? And it would be a democratic thing. Um, and he, you know, obviously, Marx didn't have an opinion on trans people. Uh, so yeah, what you're... Well- <laughs> well, as as you said, uh, Marx is rather outdated in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think that he had um, some valid criticisms to make of capitalism, and um, his contributions are one of the reasons that we don't actually have any purely capitalist societies today, um, because liberals um, who are pro-capitalism by definition took um, Marx's critiques seriously and wanted to stave off um, the death of capitalism by creating what um, political scientists call social liberalism, which is a uh, hybrid of socialism and liberalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's part. So that's another another thing to clarify. There is that um, I definitely don't agree with your analysis of the U.S. political spectrum. Um, on the one hand, it is certainly true that it well, is... Before, I'm sorry, before we move on, I just want to complete this circuit because yep. you're right. Liberals did take a look at what was happening in the Gilded Age and all of the you know the, the forces of darkness arising in Europe and America and yep. kind of seeing like, oh, God, this is a bad... We need to reform and we need to start in putting some social you know, democratic policies in that's how, you know, the United States got social security. It's how Europe post world war two got, you know, national healthcare. Um, But the, the problem with that is Marx also predicted is unless you actually completely go, you know, quote unquote, all the way to socialism, that capitalism will find a way to fight every one of those advances back. And I feel like the last 30 years has been that story where we have relentlessly cracked down on labor unions. We have reduced and and weakened their social safety nets because there's money to be made in it. And as long as there's money to be made in a capitalist system, the money will flow in that direction. And you can put as many reforms and, uh, corrections as you want into that system the system will fight back like we are not even 12 years away from the complete collapse of our housing markets right um and yet we it's most of the reforms that were put in place to prevent something like that happen again has been largely torn up at least it seems to me when i was buying a house for the last time they're back to wanting people to buy way more house than they can afford they're all back to like putting zero almost zero down on interest they're not nearly as diligent about confirming people's incomes and stuff so like i i feel like that yes it feels like you're taking a lot of credit for the work of like labor and socialist that has then been undone just the way Marx predicted it would be in the last 30 years. Um, and, and I worry it really that it hasn't though. That's the thing. Okay. So that's what I was about to say is that um, while it is certainly true that the U S Overton window is to the right of uh, most other liberal democracies, it's also significantly to the left of, of anything that you could characterize as properly right wing, or certainly that you could characterize as, as far right. So I want to make a distinction. I don't consider the alt right um, a synonym for far right for a number of reasons. Um, the fact that uh, national socialism is hostile to free trade capitalism being chief among them. Um, but what we have in the United States is we have a social safety net that is rather robust 
um, we have uh, lower um, levels of actual poverty than existed throughout most of human history, as in other liberal democracies, although admittedly higher here, right? But I mean, well, we have but, welfare, but, we have social security, we have Medicare. I mean, none of those things would exist in a purely liberal system. Those are all compromises with socialism. And so to, to say that we're, you know, we're right wing and that, you know, the left has no power <clears throat> is to get things backwards, if you ask me. Well, but here's the thing. Um, we just had a president try to defund Social Security through an executive order try. two weeks ago. And the Republican Party just released their platform for the governance for the next four years. And they said, essentially, it's rubber stamping Donald Trump. So, like, yeah, yeah, try. We have systems put in place where people can't do that. But when you say things like, you know, rise of national socialists, and I look at, like, what T Tucker Carlson, you know, he's the number one rated TV show uh, when it, we're talking about cable news and you start talking about his rhetoric where he is starting to, you know, do this populist anti-corporation. They don't care about you. They're stealing yeah. from you. It's just that, oh, boy, we would love to have these things. But man, with all these waves of immigration and these people don't play their own weight and these this underclass that we're kind of stuck with. Boy, it's almost like we need some kind of nationalist focused socialism. Um, yes. I, I, I think that, like, where is where is the top rated or even modest in the top 100 rated cable show where socialists are talking about uh, the solutions to because the, the thing I, I talk about a lot on three right turns is you go to a neo-Nazi and they can accurately describe the problems that we're having with this country. It's just that their prescriptions are insane. You know, they well, can talk about I, mean, I, the, I would I would I would argue that they're not accurately describing them. I mean, for one thing, they're not they're uh, not getting the causes right. But their they can problems are the fault of immigrants and foreign labor. And most but you're already getting to the prescriptive a consequence part of automation. So they don't. Right. But really you're, but know you're what they're talking but, about. But you're skipping to the prescriptive part. They can tell you what the problems are. They can tell you that, like, you know, jobs are gone, that, uh, you know, that the wealth is being ever more increasingly put into the hands of the top 0.1 percent and the bottom 90 percent are getting pilfered. Um, they can talk about their own communities and how there's drugs and there's crime. Um, it's just that they always blame immigrants. They blame global trade. They do like and then the prescription. Thus, they don't understand the Whereas causes. They should blame the evil capitalists. Yes, broadly speaking, because I mean, that's the problem with the fact of liberalism, for example, it's there's nothing wrong with global trade. I think global trade is a good thing. The problem is you had a bunch of liberal Democrats presiding over the global trade reformation in the last 40, 50 years, and they are avowed capitalist, as you say, and they that means that private property is sacrosanct and people that work hard and benefit and blah, 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 all that stuff. So when we saw the factory shutting down, well, that's going to come across in lower prices. When Walmart started taking across the country, well, that's going to be good for the worker because it's 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 lower prices. If you had a socialist or labor party being like, but who's going to buy the shit? You, you you crazy people, you might have had a little pushback on this and be like, oh, yeah, we might have had something like UBI um, a decade or two earlier. We might have had like national health care that would be financed through this because it is generating extraordinarily wealth. Right. Like global trade definitely puts the accelerator on the wealth creation. It's just that wealth is not being distributed to where it needs to go um, in society. And well, that depends on whether or not you are a nationalist. If you look at global poverty, it's extremely low. Uh, glo globalism has has raised 
billions of people out of poverty in the third world. And, you know, that's that's because of offshoring jobs. Right. But like even then, they're not fully like these people that are the beneficiaries of U.S. companies and European companies coming and take advantage of their low labor rates. Yes, they are getting a few pennies and nickels and and dimes um, going into their economies. But the way to build a robust economy um, in a developing nation is not like what they've done in like Mexico and what they've done in China. It's much more like what they've done in Korea where, you know, they had strong national protections until they had industries that are actually strong and competitive. And then they're leashed on the two, you know, we've got uh Hyundai and, and you know, what, what are the other, you know, Samsung is, you know, one of the leaders in, in the, the world. Whereas if you have like, you know, Microsoft or, Apple creating chips and stuff in China, China doesn't, you know, it's like, yeah, their, their, their labors get paid and the, the fat cats on top make a lot of money, but like they're not building the, the, the kind of national industry and stuff that they would if they would kept that stuff, you know, that they, they, they developed that stuff within their countries until they were strong. They had their, their own strong independent corporations that could then stand up in global trade. What it is is like we just exported the labor. Well, I mean, there are definitely problems with the Chinese government, which is run by the Communist Party and is deeply authoritarian and just highly disrespectful of their citizens' rights. I mean, no disagreement just, there. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. And um, in, in fact, if it would be in humanity's interest for liberal democracies to get together and cut out all non-liberal democracies from global trade as a way of using soft power to influence them, to force them to democratize. That would be a really good positive thing that I would support. But of course, that's more likely to work than a unilateral trade war, which is just stupid. Right. So why don't you think that stuff ever happens? And I, my, my answer is because we don't really have a leftist labor party that pushes back against the two parties, which are essentially, you know, r- rugged individual capitalism and rugged individual capitalism light. OK, you know? yeah. I mean, I don't want to overstate the case, but um, I, I, I actually definitely do think that the Democratic establishment certainly on trade and foreign policy, is actually to the right of the new Republican Party. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not a Republican anymore. But that doesn't mean that the Democratic establishment is all that far right wing. I mean, they're talking about raising taxes. They're talking about expanding Medicare. So that becomes so there's essentially a public option, a Medicare like public option. Joe Biden now supports. I mean, that's yeah, I mean, that's pretty progressive. And and it, it happened because Bernie, who is a democratic socialist, um, got a lot of political wins, you know, in the last few election cycles. And you've had a couple other, you know, uh, people like uh, AOC um, rising to national prominence, questioning kind of like the tenets of the things that we have kind of gone along with in the last 30 years. Because we're yeah, starting to I, see I support, just the, I, I can be clear. Yeah, I mean, and that's I, what I'm saying. Um, I support that, that, all kinds of consensus compromise positions. Um, but my my I, I my approach to how you thread that needle um, is informed by uh, a, a concern that if we do allow things to move too far toward the socialist side, there are downsides of that as well. Uh, so, like for example, Downside, that's why okay. I pre- yeah, let's, prefer let's, let's, a UBI over a federal jobs guarantee. 
Um, not that I'm opposed to actual jobs programs like the one Biden's going to be doing. Uh, I'm just opposed to the idea that like everybody should be owed a job and that they can't be fired from it. I think that would be a disaster. But uh, so, so what I'm saying is we are so we're you're, you're agreeing with me that we're seeing a leftward march in the Democratic Party, although it's fighting it, kicking and screaming, it seems. Uh, and in large part, I actually I want to back up because I don't agree with a lot of my leftist compadres that the Democratic Party is kick, fighting it, kicking and screaming it's more that the electorate itself um, or the electorate yeah, th- that shows please, up. Thank and you votes. for pointing that out, because I do consider it. I mean, if you, if you think about it, it's. It's actually quite racist, especially when white lefties say that the only reason black people voted for Joe Biden is because they've been brainwashed by the evil mainstream media. Yeah, of course. It's it's ridiculous. Um, and yeah, the no, fact they were that, voters like, who chose Joe Biden. <laughs> and, and the, you know, if if the young leftist cohort that is very, you know, progressive would show up and vote a few election cycles, then, shoo, well, we'd have something. But what I'm saying is, like, what Corey and I have noticed is it seems like... Um, you would want to push out people like Bernie Sanders and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez from the party or limit them. You know, you, you'd like to see them defeated electorally. And, and and I just come back to the premise of this. Like, if we do that, because, again, I agree when you say if things get too socialist, things get fucked. I don't agree with that. I think that if things get too socialist and then also authoritarian things get fucked because you know um things get too capitalist and authoritarian things get screwed up as well um so like i don't know it is would you say the same thing about the other direction if things got too capitalist you know things get wobbly so like well, i'm depends, not trying to calibrate you what, well i mean it kind of depends on on how you define capitalism um, I consider capitalism as essentially what happens when the um, the the state and business are separate. I, I think of it like a, like the wall between church and state, essentially. Mm-hmm. When the state and business are separate, that's capitalism. And so, by that definition, I don't really think it's possible to have authoritarian capitalism. You do need a state. Um, to safeguard property rights and so forth, but they shouldn't be, you know, running businesses or telling businesses how to run themselves. That what would be you, real capitalism. We don't have anything like that. Like when you had the days of the company store, the coal miners uh, and the coal mining companies essentially owning their employees. That's not. No, that's more like feudalism. Capitalism? No, that's more like feudalism. I that was actually one of the is. reasons why um, the Enlightenment. Um, which uh, championed modern science and capitalism and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason they did it, right? It was to free the peasants from feudalism, to give them the ability to save their own money and to build wealth and capital, right? If you want to talk about wage slavery, that would be socialism, where but, but, you, so what you're, you're told by the government what you're going to do, and if you don't do it, you don't get the housing, you don't get the food, and everybody gets the same amount, regardless of how productive you actually are. That mm-hmm. that that's uh, that sounds to me much more like slavery than than capitalism, which freed people and allowed them to actually become independent. But these things that I'm talking about, where you know you had corporations owning people and employees, and if you want to talk about like some of the stuff that Ford and Edison got up to on their like rubber tree plantations and stuff, like where it's like more even. Exp- 
ex- explicit slavery, those did arise under capitalism. And the only thing that keeps capitalism from devolving to that seems like it's government interference. Like, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, have you read Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now? Not. He's the Harvard evolutionary psychologist. Um, I would highly recommend you read it because... Um, in my opinion, rather than trying to debate, you know, how much progress has been made and and, and, and such, um, I'd recommend you just look at that because he outlines tons and tons and tons and tons of evidence for massive amounts of progress that have happened since the Enlightenment that it would be almost impossible to overstate um, well, the, the amount the, that human the, life the problem, has improved. The problem with that is the Enlightenment happened concurrently with the Industrial Revolution. And a lot of things that we credit... Well, sure, because it made the Industrial Revolution possible through its philosophy. Oh, bullshit. China was inv- inventing gunpowder before and, 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 and automation before anybody... Like, like, you're acting like that there wasn't science and invention and progress before the Enlightenment happened. And I'm not taken away from the things that happened in the Enlightenment. I'm just saying that, like, whenever I see people making these broad gestures to look how much more wealth the the, the the world has pre-enlightenment, post-enlightenment, I say, well, yeah, but look at the crazy amount of, of automation. Like one dude sitting in a tractor can do the work of 100 peasants um, in an afternoon. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, of yeah, course, I there's going to be like, more That is definitely the fruits of modern science. I'm not denying right. that there were there was proto-scientific things going on. I mean, there were proto-scientific things happening in ancient Rome. Right. But what I'm but, saying is, so but, it's like, but so like human being, humanity didn't really take off until the Enlightenment in terms of its quality of life. And China was very far behind the curve on that. So, but we're, we're back again after 200 plus years of Enlightenment. And then this is the thing that like why I'm socialist curious, because it seems like we have invented a neo-feudalism where an obscene amount of wealth is hoarded by a tiny fraction of the population and the vast majority of people are toiling for mere subsistence, you know, just I mean, their I day's bread and shelter. I actually don't necessarily disagree with that, um, and I'm much more sympathetic so, toward that than you might right. think, right? And like, so, like I said, I mean, I support a UBI. I prefer uh-huh. that as, instead of our tax and spend welfare system. But, but why because do you prefer I, the UBI? I, well, I mean, I guess to be clear, the reason I think that. The UBI is a good example. The reason I think UBI is better than our current tax and spend welfare system is because it's not means tested. And so the means testing causes all kinds of problems, right? If your goal is to try to compromise with socialism, then you would prefer the means tested system because it because taking away substantial amounts of the income from the bourgeoisie is as much the point as redistributing it to the proletariat in the case of socialism. Whereas in UBI, human capitalism, the um, your dis- distribution of money would actually look more meritocratic, and yet you would still have a, a robust safety net and floor. What you said about like taking the money from the bourgeoisie is as much of a point as redistributing it to the needy. You're absolutely right. And that's something that I've been saying on three right turns, but not in a negative way. I absolutely do believe it's 
vital to the continuation of democracy to do something about the rise of this billionaire class before they're a trillionaire class. Yeah, but class. that's not the bourgeoisie. I mean, the bourgeoisie is like the middle class. So, in, so Marx was talking about how middle class people, like small business owners, okay, well then and I disagree Professionals with you. <laughs> were, you know, that, that they were part of the reason why the proletariat couldn't rise up because they were made too comfortable by the capitalist system. And so um, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm fine with taxing billionaires. Honestly, it pisses me off that Jeff Bezos pays a lower effective tax rate than I do. What mm-hmm. I find morally outrageous is that when we do have incredibly wealthy people in society, and I suspect, you know, this is probably some consensus ground between us, it's a little bit fucked up that the burden of paying for the charity falls on the middle class. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I think taxes on the middle class are too high and taxes okay. on the truly rich are too low. Okay, I, I agree with that because well, I thought you were saying like uh, charitable giving or something like that. Um, no, no, I, I mean, I mean, like just the way that our system is set up because we tax work uh-huh. at a higher level than we do capital gains and uh-huh. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Working people pay a higher tax rate. I mean, the payroll tax is about as regressive as you could possibly be. Working poor people pay more in payroll tax than Jeff Bezos does as a no, person yeah, of income. That's obscene. That's, that's where, like, I also like. You know, our society is set up to where it's very, very hard to get to your first, you know, six figure job and save your first million dollars. But once you get there, you just take off. It's like escaping Earth's atmosphere. You know, suddenly the you're getting you're putting the same amount of thrust, but you're getting so much more velocity out of it because you've overcome this friction and resistance. And a lot of it is because like my accountant's the first one, like, you know, when we're starting a stupid podcasting business and we're talking about, well, what should we pay ourselves salary? She's like, well. You want to keep your because, you know, it's obviously um, if we just open up the bald move till and the three and the uh, Swiss bold till and just pocket money out, that stuff is taxed at like 15 percent versus payroll tax, which has got the federal taxes and Social Security taxes and the payroll tax. All that stuff is added in. And the accountant says, well, you want to keep it about two to one, you know. Two, two part salary to one part dividend until you get to a salary that an IRS adjuster will look at and be like, oh, yeah, that's about right for, you know, a CEO of a company. You get into like the hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars and then you can take the rest of your money in dividends once you get to that point, because the the uh, IRS won't bat an eye because now you've you've successfully m- navigated from the bourgeoisie to the capitalist class and you can do whatever the fuck you want. I feel like that's kind of immoral, but it, it brings us back to the point of like. Who is going to be making these arguments if not for the socialist labor wing of a Democratic Party? Who is going well, to be? I mean, like, if I, I went back 10 I, years ago, Rio, and said, what do you think of UBI? It's the idea where we put a bunch of money, we pay a th- person $1,000 regardless of what, you'd probably be like, that's a bunch of bullshit, right? Like, I don't well, think you I mean, were a UBI proponent. The very 10 first years ago. time that I was introduced to it, I immediately liked it because of the way that it was done, right? So, in my conversation with the communist, one thing that one one difference between us that we found interesting was that we both support um, Andrew Yang's freedom dividend policy, which funds a mm-hmm. UBI through a value added tax. But I asked him, let's say if instead of funding it through a value added tax, you funded it with fifty percent income tax on all income over fifty thousand dollars, would you still support it? And he said yes. And I said I would even vote for Donald Trump to stop that from happening. So it's not it's not I don't support UBI because I just want to get money to poor people anyway whatsoever. I support this specific UBI policy because I think it would actually be good for capitalism for many of the reasons you just said, right? More people will have income, they will spend it. Um in fact, people on lower on the income scale spend more of it so that 
that would actually be a more effective way of um, stimulating the economy uh, as opposed to trickle down. Trickle up economics is, is what we need right now. The supply side is plenty um, wealthy. It's mm-hmm. the demand side that needs some stimulus. And it's just more fair to give everybody the same amount of money. Then it's a, it's capitalism that starts at zero. It's not any less capitalist than if it start. you know, it's not any less capitalist if it starts at 1000 than zero. I mean, you collect $200 when you pass go in monopoly and that's the game of capitalism. So I, this, I guess this brings us back around because, you know, any kind of universal basic income is a form of market socialism, which is what I honestly, when I say I'm socialist curious, I really, really like to see, in the next generation, United States work to encourage more democratized workplaces through like co-ops and things that are more like socially democratic, like, you know, UBIs and safety nets, um, uh, uh, some kind of guaranteed standard of healthcare, food and housing. Um, and if we got there in 50 to 100 years, then, you know, we can see if we want to progress further. Um, well, but I mean, again, I those are all it, I wouldn't kind consider of market socialist policies. socialism unless you took away property rights. Right. As long, so like, well, Yang's, not saying, need... Yang's not saying we should take away people's ability to own capital or that mm-hmm. we should seize the means of production. He's saying let's do a value added tax at half, half the rate it's done in Europe. And let's use that to create a universal basic income, which is you know, going to help get people out of poverty, help people escape the welfare cliff. But but my point is that's literally market socialism. And if you drive all the socialists out of your party, who is going like because Andrew Yang did not propose this in a vacuum. Andrew Yang is coming up um, at these giant holes that we have in capitalism and our society as a whole and trying to figure out, like, you know, how can I fix them within the bounds of socialism or I'm sorry, within the bounds of capitalism, which is what market socialists do too. market socialists say, you know what? Gee whiz. This whole market forces generates an, an immense amount of wealth and does a lot of things automatically that a command can, uh, uh, economy couldn't possibly do. Uh, so let's just use it and let's use it to generate wealth and let's divide it up to make society. Yeah, a better yeah. Place. No, so let me to be clear, I don't I don't oppose social liberalism. Right. Mm-hmm. The compromise between liberalism and socialism. I oppose illiberal socialism. Right. Mm hmm. Um, which by definition is authoritarian because it, 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 that once you give up on the liberal part, that's the reason fascism is, well, is see, so would, terrifying. Once you give up on the liberal part, <laughs> you have gone over the hump into, you know, like authoritarian mountain. But here's the thing. One of the core tenets of this liberalism that you're subscribing to, because I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I like liberalism. Um, and, uh, but, but one of the, 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 the problems is that, one of the core foundations is that private property is sacrosanct. I'm having a very hard time finding people that can defend that from a first principles uh, scenario, especially when you talk about the centuries of imperialism um, and colonialism that it all was built on, that it's like, Super convenient that here in the 21st century, we're like, you know what? Private property is the one thing that we cannot do anything to limit. We cannot do anything to restrict. We can never take it away. We can restrict people's political freedom. We can restrict uh, people's military um, freedom by, you know, saying you can't own an aircraft carrier, et cetera. Um, they can't have a private stockpile of nuclear weapons. They can't accept in rare occasions by grenade launchers even. Um, but like private property, who boy here in the 21st century, we've divided all this stuff appropriately and the world's divided appropriately. And if you weren't at the table and we did that, you just kind of missed out. I don't think that's going to survive contact with 
a world that's increasingly globally educated and aware of their own history. Like people are going to be like, what the fuck? There's no way that the wealth you guys made off of in the previous centuries you get just to keep. Like it's it's a recipe for a a global under a permanent global underclass. Well, and we I could, think that's we could the, certainly have a whole. I mean, yeah. So, Aaron, um, if yes, if I would look, love to get with this with first principle sometime on a, on a yeah. moving forward, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be one of the topics that we do a, a whole deep dive into, and I do have what I think is a a good defense of it. Although, I mean, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that it'll it'll suffice for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, my, but but when I think of liberalism, like I like the things that I think will survive is, you know, um, respect of individuals, uh, liberty, um, freedom of uh, religious and political thought, uh, respect for democratic institutions that the people get a say in all forms of governance, um, which, you know, again, one of the rises of the people being socialist curious is the fact that. You know, we believe in democracy, but when it comes to like the boardrooms and the workplaces, get that shit out of there. Democracy works at like a at a a country level, at a state level, at a local level. But in a 50 person factory, it cannot possibly work. Get it out of here. Well, I definitely don't think I definitely do not oppose people voluntarily entering into co-op arrangements or communes or anything they want. All of those things are permitted under our system. But I just we, don't want the government to force everybody to do it because I would. I don't think so. What What would you think of governments um, like freedom loving democracies, like the United States, like other Western developed countries, giving economic um, uh, breaks or incentives to um, corporations that have some sort of cooperative um, governance? That would certainly be preferable to just passing law, forcing them to turn into co-ops tomorrow. I mean, if only because I think that would have incredibly negative consequences for the economy in the short term, and I'm not sure it would recover. Um, But also because it would be a violation of individual liberty. All right. So it sounds like, Aaron, this is great because it sounds like you are indeed significantly to the left of Corey. I don't know if you're as far well, left as well, where I, mean, I want to get to I, where I want let, let where me, I want to get to in the next 10 years. Yeah, that's what the distinction I want to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if only because you're also more comfortable calling yourself socialist curious, whereas Corey's not, you know what I mean? Um, hmm. And and so that's great because I can talk to Corey about policy. He does not want to talk to me about political science or philosophy or economics. So mm-hmm. you and I can talk about that. And I think that'll be great. Um, it's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you're a tanky or a Stalinist or something, but um, I think that you're also more authoritarian than Chet, um, although admittedly he is an anarchist, so it's really easy to be more authoritarian say, than him. Yeah, pretty much just have to support a state, so I'm uh-huh. also more authoritarian than Chet. <laughs> yeah. So why do you think why do you think I'm more authoritarian? Because you're right. Like, yeah, I can't compete with an anarchist, like, you know, uh, or a minarchist, I guess, would be because I even anarchy doesn't mean what they think that what what the it says in the dictionary. But why why would you say I'm more authoritarian? Because again, I'm democratic and democratic socialist is important to me. You yeah, know? exactly. I will because you believe in a state. <clears throat> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then yes. Right. And yes. so and then that's great because I want to make sure that this cast of of lefties I talk to on the podcast are just different from each other as well as different from me, because I think that'll result in um, But would it flip your wig if I say that I do because, you know, as one of the premises of three right turns is Star Trek Republicanism is I do think that if you're talking if if the human species survives and is around a thousand years from now, 
we will probably look either like some Mad Max hellscape or we will look like some kind of Star Trek utopian, which is essentially communist. Um, so while I think we're nowhere near destroying and uh, the distinctions of class and um, border um, and all those things like the ideals of socialism, um, you know, that equality and fraternity um, and that, that that will inevitably shape humans into one thing or the other. And I would rather shoot for the Star Trek utopia than the Mad Max hellscape. Um, I mean, I would definitely prefer if those are my only two options. I just don't believe that they're the only two options. If you get in a situation where a thousand years from now, you've got 0.01% of the people controlling 90% of the resources, then how in the world can you say that all the other things of liberalism, that people are equal and that people, you know, are individually valued and individual liberties are, are, are respected? How can those things be true if we are living in a world a thousand years from now where we have similar income and wealth disparities that we do now on planet earth. And well, again, if like we globally don't, what's speaking, the mechanism income and equality is at the lowest point it's, it's ever been as far as we know, based on historical data. So well, um, <clears throat> what we're actually witnessing right now, well, no, wait, wait, wait a second. Um, I, I, yeah. we, we'll have to get into like the sources and the claims because a lot of the stuff, when I look at those statements, they're broadly true. If you're comparing to like, you know, most of the world lived in, you know, some sort of feudalism and chattel slavery up until 300, you know, 250, you know, 150 years ago. Still, there's still that going on today. Right. So, but, like, no, but it's like not in, persuasive, especially, especially in the third world countries, uh-huh. um, the, the the you know, billions of people have risen out of poverty just in the last few decades. I mean, it really globalism well, has been extremely good for them. Yes. I'm not disagreeing that when Rome conquers the the, you know, savages that they build roads and aqueducts and there's some standard of living improvement. But I think that you still have billions of people in truly crushing poverty and and the people that have been lifted out of poverty, like the way poverty is defined by the people throwing those statistics around. It's like, well, if you make ten dollars a day, you're not in poverty. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not a pangloss. I'm not saying that, you know, like that things couldn't be any better than they are. I no. support progress, right? right? I'm just worried about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and and I think it's easier to break things than it is to fix them. Um, and the main issue that I have with most labor movements is almost by definition, they're led by the least educated and capable people in the world. Well, that's, yes, it would be nice if the most educated, most resource uh, uh, people would lead this stuff and make things better, but too often... They just hoard their shit and make things worse. Yeah. Like that's, that's why a, we, that's we a think a flying spaghetti monster for Andrew Yang, brother. That's that's one of the reasons why so many of the socialist revolutions in the 20th century failed is because they're a bunch of ignorant peasants trying to run a country and they yeah. weren't up. To yeah, the and task. it's it's also the reason why they started killing all the smart um, libertarian Marxists. You're not. And, you're not. And, he, yeah. yeah, you're you're not you're not wrong. You're not wrong because this was supposed to arise out of everybody, you know, um, being educated and taken care for and be like, you know what, this is this this uh, this exploitation that we're doing on people is just gross and we feel bad about it and we'd rather live in a more equal society. Let's try this thing rather than it coming at the the, the point yeah. of a gun. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really confident that we're going to have genuine disagreements that will be interesting and edifying for us and our listeners and right. uh, that we'll also be able to come to all kinds of, of common ground. But, but the thing, well. the, the reason why I think that like one of, and this is why I'm glad we're getting into this in this introductory podcast is the thing that I see the, re, the, the, 
the real kind of disagreement of furballs that, that led up to what you you know you and Corey splitting is that you do a lot of these kind of drive by like well you know it's it's no one disputes that uh, um, you know capitalism has lifted billions of people out of uh, poverty poverty globally when that's like a three hour conversation before I would even agree to like. You know, and at the end of it, we'd probably be like, oh, OK, I see where you're sitting. And maybe you, it, it, it's it's more of like it's 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 because you said, you know, you're not opposed to progress, but it does sometimes come across like you don't want too much of it. You know, oh, yeah, like, like, I mean, like, 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 I mean, how, the crazy I <laughs> but, but wait a second, I just want to finish this thought. It'll take me like 15 seconds and you can go. But like you see tons of crazy people in the Republican Party. and They've been there for over a generation and like no one really bats an eye because they're so persuasive. But we clearly see the quote unquote crazy ideologies that are starting to make inroads into the Democratic Party at the national level. And that's like a red alert emergency that we need to like really pump the brakes on. And I think maybe that's just the conservative background that you, you know, um, it's like uh, you get used to your own body odor and you don't smell it anymore. Like, you know, like all the like fascist and right and, and white supremacists and um you know, slaver capitalist over on the conservative side. It's like, that's just a background noise, but holy shit, AOC comes on and like, Oh my God, this is socialism with a capital S. Um, well, that's I mean, the thing. I, I, I'm, I, at this point, um, I, I, I really feel more loyal to the democratic party than the Republican party. I think that the Republican party has been totally taken over by illiberal radicals. Um, who are the working class base of that party, by the way? Oh yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, the reason the Republican Party is worse is because it's it has there's more influence from the least educated and capable people in that party. Uh, I mean, at this point, there's almost no real like uh, Milton Friedman style economic conservatives left in the GOP. I think we're pretty much all in the Democratic Party at this point. Yeah, which is why it's I think what needs quickly. to happen is moderate and, you know, non, you know, well-educated liberal Republicans probably need to reform some conservative party and then let the Democrats become the left. Actually, what we need to do is reform our our the way we vote so we can have more than just two parties. Um, mm -hmm. like yeah, I'm, we, rank, I'm a, we need ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting. Preach on, brother. We need that stuff. So then we can have like a fair and balanced party in the middle. You can have a capitalist party. Uh, you can have a capitalist party that's socially regressive. You can you can have all those different things. You can force them to build coalitions and you can vote your heart, all that kind of stuff. But for right now, I think what needs to happen is we need to cut the reasonable conservative economic people free to resist an actual progressive labor party. Um, because, again, or, or, what we or, have now is a center just, versus or maybe, the right. Maybe they can work together and create a consensus position that's actually stronger for it. And so that's so okay. Let's start talking about that because I think this would be a great way to like enter the third act, the heroic act of this podcast, where we can kind of f figure out ways we can work together. Because I, I would like to get to your conversation with Corey at some point, if if possible. Oh, do you want to pivot to that? Because like where I want to go in the final analysis is like how can we work together? Because like what my theory is working with conservatives is. is I will work on specific policy that aligns, you know, like if you want to do criminal justice reform, you want to do UBI kind of stuff like that. But like these days of like, you know what, if you give me these these votes we need on abortion, then I'll give you a little bit of means checked uh, social policy that you can go back and tell your constituents that are not actually affected by it, that you tried to do something like that shit's got to go. 
So like, yeah, I'll work. Uh, I'll support work. Uh, lib- um, I'll support liberals and leftists and progressives and conservatives working together on specific policy plans all day long where it makes sense. But like the tit for tat quid pro quo stuff, that's where it's like I just and I feel like this. I can already see it in the liberal centrist party of the Democrat, the, the mind control waves that the, the Project uh, Lincoln people are putting out there. And they're apps like Corey and I are talking about. Those things are absolutely going to be reversed on the progressive wing of the Democratic Party as soon as Trump is out of power, because they're not going to just, you know, be like Cincinnati and like, oh, well, we defeated the tyrant. So it's time to beat our swords into plowshares and just, uh, you know, go back to normal. They're going to. Do like you and look for the uh, the enemies of, uh, I guess, liberalism and start beating up on the socialists. So anyway, Corey and I's <laughs> conversation. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different moving parts there. Part of it is also just branding. I think that the Democratic Party um, lately certainly has actually shown much more competence when it comes to governing. Um, they're much better at lowering deficits and balancing budgets. Um, I think Obama was a great center-right president, Um, but they suck at winning and taking power in the first place. And that's all about rhetoric and branding. And like it or not, in the United Mm -hmm. States, even in the 21st century, calling yourself a socialist isn't good branding. But that's the point. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've pondered on the podcast. Like, well, maybe. Well, we I don't mean your it. branding. I mean, like Bernie Sanders branding. I mean, no, he didn't no, lose but, the but primary like, twice. Yeah, because you know, like, uh, fascists are really good at that. Like, you know, they're not Nazis. They're neo Nazis. They're not uh, white nationalists or white separatists. They're not. You know, they're identitarians. They're race realists. Like, they they come up with that shit every five years. Once it becomes radioactive, they just pivot. Yeah. You know. But again, like, I, I think it's because like. You can have something that you would call democratic socialism, right? Like, you can see it. There's no democratic fascism, right? Like, those things are completely opposed to one another. Like, you can have democratic fascism in that the people vote for fascism, and then once they do, the door to democracy is closed, where that's not necessarily true of socialism. It's not, like, one of its core tenets. No, you know? I, I actually agree with that. Yes, yeah, that's, um, you're right. I mean, um, opposition to democracy is a defining feature of uh, fascism. Not all political scientists would agree with that, by the way, but I actually agree. I think that it, it defaults to being um, opposed, to being explicitly anti-democratic. So a lot of socialists just agree to fight this fight. Like, you know what? We're going to we're going to redeem this. It's this is not radioactive in any other part of the Western world. It's just this stupid thing about America and McCarthyism. So we're going to fight it. And I have mixed feelings about it. But, you know, uh, I mean, it's not it's not like it's it's not like it's not also a problem in Europe. I mean, um, you know, Corbyn um, is a socialist and he was walloped at the ballot box in the UK. Yeah, the liberals all banned against it. But I, I should say that well, and 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 when push comes English, to shove, if English they're forced to choose between world. fascism and socialism, liberals will choose fascism. That's part of the that's, reason why I oppose socialism. That's what, that's what socialism. That's what socialists say too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they're not wrong about everything. They're just wrong about most things. No. Uh, <laughs> that was a but, low blow. Sorry. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like that. Like I should say when I say uh, I. Uh, English-speaking Western democracies have a bug up their ass about socialism that's not in any other Western socialist country, or I guess Western country. Um, uh, and there I, that aren't makes, really that any Western socialist countries. I mean, there is no pure socialist countries in liberal democracies, and no, there's no pure capitalist not. countries in liberal yeah. democracies. 
I, I, yeah. I agreed, but 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 the, the term yeah. socialist and like you know like uh, is is really only kind of a slur in English speaking Western democracies, and probably all trickle down from the the McCarthy. There, there's era a little. And the there's something to that. And, there's something to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if okay, yeah. So there's there's that obviously another um, conversation. So it's good that we have so many different individual topics that we can we can do deep dives on. And of course, I not expecting you to just take my word for it about globalization being good for the global poor, et cetera. Yeah, uh, so we'll talk about all that. I've, we'll talk I've about taken... defending propertarianism, yeah. et cetera. Um, but I do, we only have about 20 minutes left. Um, and I wanted to get to your conversation about Corey. Cause I, I took a bunch of notes. Yeah. Um, and this is I'll partially this because part. I want to make sure that both my listeners, but also your listeners um, hear my side of that. Sure. All right, great. So if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of steer the conversation just a little bit. Um, but please, you know, ask me follow-up questions or anything you want at any time. I'll, fo- I'll follow your lead, Fred Astaire. Let's <laughs> dance. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it, it seems to me, I told Corey this in a, a, a DM, actually. It seems to me like he's gone from the denial-isolation stage of grief after our breakup to the anger stage of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's totally understandable. Um, but also Corey's a a very honorable, truthful person. He would never intentionally, um, straw man anything that I've said. I think that there are some things that were just miscommunications. Okay. So to clarify a few things, I'm not against black lives matter. Um, I am against certain ideas that some people, uh, espouse under that moniker. So I want to make a, I think that's an important Specifically. Um, well, I mean, just to give you a very uh, evocative example, um, there was a video going around uh, Twitter with a white person standing at the front of a Black Lives Matter protest in Portland, holding a sign that said, no war but class war. Uh-huh. I think that if you're a white person appropriating a movement against police brutality, which is being done by a racial demographic, which is which tends to vote more moderately within the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. and you appropriate that for your socialist message. I think that's kind of shitty. I will agree because, like, I saw a lot of mind blowing shit. You know, like uh, well meaning white people and fucked up bullshit. Name a more iconic duo. Uh, but like the one that really stuck out of my mind of like, what the fuck was this? Um, black only safe space that was being policed by white people um (laughs) which like we can get into the idea of safe spaces and how i think they're very important in you know certain places to have and maintain especially if you're exploring new ideas or personal ideas and stuff but like a public space only for black people is not what we're trying to shoot for when we're talking about safe spaces and equality and things like that so like i will agree but I think what Corey was coming back is like what you originally said. It seemed like what's what spun you up was this tweet where there was like three or four Black Lives Matter activists that are kind of seen as prominent leaders saying that they are avowed Marxists. Oh, and, no, 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 no. That's okay, not Because um, I thought that's what exactly what you guys were like, what, what Corey retorted uh, on your the podcast I listened to where you guys were fighting. Because the, the pushback to that, obviously, is if you go back into the original um, civil rights uh, movement, a lot of those black leaders were socialists, too. MLK. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have anything against black people being socialist. Okay. Um, and not any more so than against white people being socialist, right? <laughs> right? But no, it's yeah, something these, against socialism. 
these white leftists um, co-opting. But it no, there, there is a trend class, that I think so. you would acknowledge, um, and and I'm not necessarily saying that this is all like I mean it's kind of an understandable political strategy. It's just mm-hmm. one that I oppose, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a trend um, on the 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 left real left flank of the democratic party, the mm-hmm. progressive wing, if you will, to co-op every movement um, and try to make it be about their economic agenda. So for example, the green new deal, right? Mm-hmm. You could solve climate change by just having a carbon fee and dividend. That's literally all you would have to do. And that sure. would bring revenue into the government instead of bankrupting it. If we did but that 30 years they, ago, but no, 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 they have to create all of these left wing policies as part of that. Right. And so, and, and what, what I find frustrating about that is as you know, this, the kind of conservative who recognizes climate change is real and that we definitely need to get a grip on it. That is just not productive because if they're, if they're saying we're not going to do anything about climate unless you sign on the dotted line of absolutely every far left economic agenda and this, that, that's just not going to happen. But why would why the hell would you have an economic agenda that pre negotiates with far right people in the Senate and House is and like there's again, you know, you got left versus right. You will find a reasonable center. You have center versus right. You will have a, a, a steady march. To, so do, do you not un, do you do not agree with that political strategy to ask for the moon and then no, give I mean, away I think it's fine it? for them to ask for it. I also think it's but, fine but, for me to say that I think that co-opting a, a movement that has nothing to do with economics and making it all about your economic agenda is kind of lame. I mean, no. I, I have personal experience with that because I do um, nonprofit work in LGBT uh-huh. spaces uh-huh. and it's infuriating to me. You will, you will see people say things like um, you're not, you don't really support LGBT rights unless you're a socialist. And it's because of this absurd concept of intersectionality and identity politics. I'm just, I'm a very, okay. I'm a very, uh, individualistic person right Mm -hmm. i don't appreciate people speaking for on my behalf i think it's fucked up class reductionism is really stupid because if you solve the class problems you would still have issues with race and gender and sexuality and it's it's beyond stupid and i will fight every leftist that wants to make everything about class well, so, we agree and, then. And that, so I just wanted to clarify. Are, I don't want but, people but, thinking but, that, I, but, that I have both because I, 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 I support it. But you also did a drive-by in intersectionality, which is something that is foundational to understanding so much about society today, which... Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a perspective that's worth uh, um, considering, right? But it, taken to its extreme... You know, to say that you're, you know, for example, you can't really be a feminist unless you're also a socialist or you can't, you know, that sort of thing, I think is is ridiculous. No, it's stupid. I mean, they might have a point here or there, but like, broadly speaking, no, that's that's dumb. But yeah, also, also hard to find those types in elected office and statewide policies, let alone nationally. And yet, you know, we're also under fight of our lives against, you know, proto fascism here in America. And that's where I think like Corey and I get frustrated with the, you know, like, like, I don't know where you're seeing these guys, these people like uh, if you're doing some kind of um, broadly speaking, left wing social movement uh, fundraising, you probably do have to suffer a lot of these fools, but they're not winning elected office. They're not shaping like the political thought that goes on in Washington. And that's not to say that, like you sleep at the switch for 30, 40, 50 years and you don't get that or a, a big danger in your party. In fact, I've said this on the podcast. I expect as an 80 year old man to be fighting like hell against whatever fucked up, what weird mutant thing the Democratic Party has become 
uh, between now and then, especially if we're stuck in this two-party system for much longer. Yeah, team sport thinking is is truly stupid. Um, And, you know, that's that's how people will continue to say, you know, that um, Democrats um, are the racist party because, you know, um, you know, because because GOP was the party of Lincoln. I mean, right. if you if you want evidence of a of, of the fact that you know a party can keep its name, but do a total one eighty on its value system, just look at how the party of Lincoln in a few short generations really um, has turned into the Confederacy of Dunces. No, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so, like, as long as we're in this two party system, party realignment is—it's happened seven times in the United States. It's going to continue to happen, and I will be will be due for one about the time I'm in my doddering diaper age. And so, like, I, I expect to be an angry old man, just like I'm an angry middle aged man um, at what's going on in the country, unless we get that fixed. But again, like I said, like, there's so many things that I want to agree with you on Rio, but then you got to add the extra rat a tat hat on like intersectionality, and I think that's. This pod- podcast to me might be tedious because I-, I said this on the first podcast I did with you that like when I'm listening to moving forward, you guys start to have a really interesting disagreement. And then as Corey kind of works himself up to the fight, you're just like, shh, shh UBI, UBI, but brother, shh, UBI. And like, that's fine because that's the things where we can strategically you know, work together on policy, specific policy. But like, yeah, I kind of want to fight you um, intellectually. Oh, yeah, no, on I, I want to get into those, I like get that, into those you know? discussions, too. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I think Corey had um, rather low tolerance for the, that kind of that kind of discussion. Well, I, I mean, I know he does because he said it right. He doesn't want to talk about political science or philosophy or rhetoric or strategy. He just wants to talk about policy. And, and you know, I, I respect that. I'm not going to force him to talk about something he doesn't want to talk about. And so I'm glad I have other people like you to talk about with. OK, so, yeah, to clarify, um, it's the the. And we can we we can um, get into a whole big detailed conversation about intersectionality and so forth. I was just trying to make a point that, you know, I just it, it kind of reminds me of when I in the Republican Party, um, people would say that if you don't agree completely with absolutely everything Donald Trump said, then you're a rhino. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of how it feels sometimes when I'm dealing with progressives. And they seem to say, like, if you say anything that's even slightly critical of anything having to do with the Black Lives Matter movement, then you're automatically like totally opposed to Black Lives Matter and a racist. And I just I think that's that's not conducive to productive conversation. I agree. But then, man, like I'm I'm not going to you you surely read, you know, Martin Luther King's letter to uh, moderate, you know, centrist was moderate white people from a Birmingham jail. Yeah. And I don't think he was a a perfect person or a saint. I disagree with him about a lot of things. He was also a very good man who did a lot of good. Like people are complex. You don't think he had a we we don't deify human beings, though. Do you, you don't think that he had some kind of insight that like during a big part of political, like a big movement of political change is broadly speaking for the good? Because, again, you know, you look at the political cartoons from the 1960s. It's the same shit like political cartoonists, right? Martin Luther King coming to town. It's like, are you looking forward to another day of peaceful protest? And he's standing in front of this city that's on fire and there's people lying beaten in the streets and like, yep, going to be another great day of nonviolent. Yeah, protest. I mean, it infuriates me when the fascist. All but right you have to look, pre- like but, but I feel like you have to look pretty hard to find these, you know, uh, milk toast, white college educated uh, doofuses and, you know, trying to hijack the 
um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, when in the city that I live in, for example, those have been these are being led by black people. And you look at uh, the, the protests around the nation, it seems like they're mostly centered around the black cause and. You know, like it, from the mainstream media, like it's not it's it'd be one thing of like CNN was like giving these people all the microphones. Tell us more about well, the socialism. Yeah, but yeah, it, no, it's totally, not like totally you're getting agree. this stuff from totally Twitter agree. and YouTube. But I mean, like, and, if, if you look, if you look, if you listen to the actual conversation that kind of started the argument, mm-hmm. um, it, it's called alt left versus alt right. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm honestly surprised that it upset Corey as much as it did. I think that he is, um, he's on a short fuse right now. Like a lot of us are because, um, you know, the world is a scary place right now. Um, but yeah, no, I mean like I, I wasn't critic. I never, I never critiqued the BLM movement. I critiqued certain strategies. Like for example, I think using the defund the police slogan is not wise I think it's bad branding because it sounds more radical than what they're actually proposing policy wise. Yeah, but like, okay, here, okay, so let's stop here. Um, the problem with that is, I agree. Actually, I thought defund the police was a was was really stupid. But then I saw so polling does 59% that fifty nine percent of black people in America. But I saw polling that like when people ask what defund the police means, something like seventy five percent of the people could articulate what the actual broad thing is, which is you know that's astounding. I don't even think seventy five percent of Americans could name the vice president if asked. Right. Um. But let's so all like. It's weird that we got preemptively worried about the branding of something that most people intuitive have figured out because it was well reported and actually was really, you know, like this is one of the rare moments in mainstream media where like the actual crux of a problem was discussed. And it wasn't just like, oh, reactionary A, what do you think about this reactionary B? It's like. You know, people ask, defund the police. What the hell? You need police. And people are like, okay, well, what we really mean is taking away from the war on drugs and poverty and some of the militarized aspects of the police and devoting that to social services to make the underlying crime less of a problem. So police officers can maintain the Yeah, and I also agree that the police union is a real problem. And, and, you know, I mean, unions can be a pain in the ass sometimes. They sure can, especially when they're backed with the monopoly of state force. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that would be another example of, uh, of why I think that business and, and the state need to be kept separate. Although, of course, in the case of the police, I, think, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not one of the. I'm definitely not someone who wants to privatize police force. That would be a terrifying idea. But yes, I think. I think that when why. they're when they're primarily motivated about say, by saving their jobs, um, then then they're just kind of in the way. But that's why I think Corey and even I get upset when people like to critique the black lives black lives movement on the margins because those your what you your legit criticisms become amplified and turn into like serious problems within the black live community when it's reported and like it gives cover to people you know because like uh honestly a bunch of racists just parrot that stuff like for example i used to be super homophobic i would never admit to it back when i was you know a fundamentalist christian i would never admit to being homophobic because i didn't hate black people i didn't hate I didn't hate homosexual people. I didn't hate gay people. I didn't hate lesbians. I just didn't want them to get married and adopt children because, boy, you know, just, boy, you you know, um, uh, uh, and then I hear a smart, uh, you know, someone who's read a paper to stand up and say, well, you know, there's the if you look at the social economic statuses of families that have a, a a a mom and a dad, then there are clear social advantages to that. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't want gay people to adopt because there's clear social advantages to people that have both a mother and father. 
Turns out a lot of those studies, it's more about having two people providing for a child. It could be a mom and a mom and a dad or a dad or a grandparent and an uncle, whatever. It's like having those two resources to a child more than yeah, and in a fact, woman gay, and a man. Gay men, gay men on average are actually more affluent than heterosexual couples right. and their children but, actually do better educationally. But that what about gave my ignorant ass intellectual cover for uh, homophobia. And I just like I think your valid but kind of minor and fringe critiques of the Black Lives Movement movement give intellectual cover to actual racists. Well, I, I mean, that is uh, that is something that you could say. Um, I, I think that the left, um, by which I in this case, I mean, the Democratic Party, the American left, so to speak, um, even though they are to the right of the Republican Party on some issues nowadays, like trade and foreign sure. policy. The Democratic Party, and especially the progressive left wing of the Democratic Party, um, are just really, really bad at political strategy and branding and rhetoric and marketing, right? I mean, it just like, you know, it makes sense that people who believe in capitalism and are good at capitalism are going to be better at marketing. And so that's just a that's a um, a disadvantage that they have that they would do well to reflect upon. Um, so, like it's I possible, said, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't seen that poll there. about seventy percent of people um, knowing what was meant by defund the yeah, police. But I, if that's the case, <laughs> then it's yeah, even doubly damning that fifty nine percent of black folks in a in another poll said they oppose defund the police, right? Now, of course, these numbers are going to move fast because it's a brand new movement and the, right. the support of it might go up. But right. I mean, I think that there should be room for having nuanced conversation about these issues without people shutting it down by shouting you down and telling you that you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed. That's part of what I, that's part of what I dislike about the whole identity politics thing. It's this idea that, you know, if you're a cis white man, your opinion counts for shit because all of your lived experiences are part of the oppressive class and therefore you're not really allowed to have an opinion on anything. And but I think that when, okay. when people behave that way, that alienates liberals from the party and that is going to push them into the hands of fascists. And I don't want fascism to win. So I would like that to stop, please. But I think that you could also you're OK. Um, if you had a friend that was kind of dim, but big hearted and industrious and love this family and you let every conversation with boy my friend is just stupid i think that friend would mean? be upset <laughs> because because like i feel like in these cases you're saying accurate things about it but like if a person uh like like if you're going to critique black lives matter you should do it from a perspective where people understand that there's many many good things about it yeah no i and see like, what you're saying thing, that's, that, like, that is when, actually that is actually a mistake that i made and and part of the reason that happened is because i i actually wasn't setting out to critique that i was trying to talk about i issues that are maybe tangentially related to aspects of the black lives matter movement and Corey was taking it back to black lives matter probably because when he hears people talking about those issues it's in the context of folks who oppose black lives matter mm -hmm. um you know sam harris has an interesting point where he says that if um liberals won't stand up for their own values if liberals for example will will characterize any any nuanced critique of islam as a religion as Islamophobic, then what happens is people who are worried about those genuine problems in that culture 
um, are, are, are going to be pushed into the hands of the alt-right because they're the only people who are talking about it, right? I think uh, that, I think that I it's think important it's... for liberals to defend their own values against the radicals in their party. I think that's an, an important part of any conversation. I have a lot of problems with Sam Harris. It probably won't surprise you. But like, I feel like that the, the onus is on Sam Harris to choose as, as the academic to choose his words carefully and make sure people understand what the hell he means rather than like, I don't know why people think I'm an Islamophobe when I spend the vast majority of my time criticizing, you know, Muslims and Islamic countries like, well, he doesn't anymore. I mean, it's just that his first book was on that topic. Eh, I Most mean, but, you know, when you're, have nothing to do with Islam. Sure, but when you when you spend a good five years going on a talk show circuit, you know, being the guy who's like, why does anyone else think that Western democracies just aren't worried about Islam when we're <laughs> fighting a global war against Islamic terrorists? Like, it's it's I man, I feel like this is like self aware wolves. You're so close to understanding what Corey and I are talking about because like. It was kind of wacky to have people like that saying, like, you know what? While we're bombing the shit out of these countries and putting sanctions on them and, you know, burning their mosques, we really aren't being tough enough against Muslims. Yeah, that comes across a little Islamic phobic. And for moderate and liberal Muslims, it must have made them pull their fucking hair out. Well, just like I mean, when yes, you're a black I, I definitely, like a person that cares I definitely about black prefer liberal Muslims and I definitely prefer liberal Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, I, what I find uh, hypocritical is when people oppose the Christian right. Right. And they will tolerate any kind of criticism of fundamentalist Christianity. But you can't have the same kind of conversation about the problems in Islam, which which as a religion hasn't really had a proper reformation yet. And if you if you well, look why do you at, think that um, is? If you look at Muslims in the UK, for example, the percentage of them we're talking in the UK, we're talking uh-huh. about British citizens, uh-huh. the percentage of them who hold deeply illiberal beliefs, like that, for example, gay people should be killed, is mm-hmm. appallingly high. And I think that's a social problem worth addressing. Okay. But what percentage of those people are first generation immigrants? Because what we've seen in this country is immigrants come in with all kinds of ways of thinking and that second generation or less so third generation or less so fourth generation. If you got a, a, a beige skin color, you essentially pass for American. So no, like, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, so like a lot it, of this it, stuff, it definitely, they, they, it Sam definitely says never something says about religion. Like I mean, that. it definitely says something about religion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, because it's like, for example, so weak I that bet, it can't survive interacting with secular society. And, and I bet that if you brought in a first generation Russian immigrant that thinks that all gay people should be beat to to bloody piss in the streets if you catch them like kissing like i bet that they would be a disturbing demographic that that's that's true but then there's also just theological debates about about like the meanings of ancient texts and no i i think i think that the the trend of liberal apologists within a religion to totally um deny that there's anything problematic in their text is deeply dishonest but but here's the thing the reason I get upset with fundamentalist Christians in this country and I don't give two fucks about fundamentalist, fundamentalist Muslims is because, honestly, the moderate and liberal Muslims do a pretty good job of muzzling the conservative ones over here. Um, but we have fundamentalist Christians at the highest level of offices actively fucking up our democracy. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, so I, agree, yes, I agree. I agree that I within much the more U.S. Critical. political spectrum, Christianity is a bigger problem. But that's that's why I don't understand why. We don't Sam actually have very much, very much immigration from Islam, from Muslim but, countries. So, 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 so why is a different it's a different ballgame? 
So why does Sam Harris get to sit here and be like, ooh, woo, I don't understand why everybody's worked up about fundamentalist Christians, but they don't care about fundamentalist Muslims when we're talking about English speaking Western democracies. Like, well, again, course, like I said, in the UK, it's a bigger problem. But, it, but it's also, 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 Aaron, the, we, we have to start wrapping up, of course. Yes, um, yes. I didn't mean for this. To, I thought that was just going to be a quick throwaway example. I didn't mean for it to become a big conversation, but that's OK. Welcome to moving of, the future of moving forward with me. Yeah, on it, baby. We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, but just 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 to be just to be clear, part of what um, he was responding to mm. was um, people going on television and claiming that the reason we were attacked on 9-11 is because the U.S. is an evil imperialist country. Um, and it wasn't why we were attacked. We were attacked because there were Islamic theocrats who want to kill us for being infidels. And I think that that is, ah, but um, why were there Islamic worth, theocrats? That's something worth understanding. Like, because that, that informs the way you deal with that problem. But that's what I'm saying. That's the Sam Harris two-step. Yes, you're right, Rio, but why are there Muslim theocrats that have taken over those countries? And that is where the Western imperialism raises its ugly head. No, like, yeah, no, I mean, in many cases, we armed and trained those. I mean, to be be clear, to be clear, um, I'm much more hawkish on foreign policy than probably any of the uh, progressives who are going to be, you know, uh, guest starring on moving forward. Um, So I'm prepared to defend um, a uh, neoconservative foreign policy. Um, But that doesn't mean that we haven't had missteps or certainly that the, the, the British empire didn't have missteps. I mean, we did all kinds of horrible human rights abuses, et cetera. I right. think that like you can oppose the way something is done and still support the overall vision. I just think you can definitely, there's two ways to look at it. Like, yes, like the reason these guys, you know, crashed into our towers was not because of broadly speaking, their specific concerns with colonialism and imperialism, but the conditions that caused them, uh, you know, to, to have those views and have those views, um, that are widely accepted. There's those communities is because of the legacy of imperialism. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's not 100% because of that, but that was, there was a contributing factor, but that doesn't mean that we deserve to be attacked. Like some crazy people on the far left said, no one deserves anything. It's just, it's just, you know, not everybody in America. I I would venture Mm -hmm. to say most moderate, like Democrats or even just most Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. They just aren't going to sign on for, you know, the radical lefts like shitting on America all the time. Well, no, not if people like yourself and Sam Harris are giving the bullhorn. But if you give people like myself the bullhorn and be like, whoa, 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 let's take this another couple steps. If you actually educate and explain and and someone with a leftist platform be given the billions of dollars it's giving to Fox and Sinclair and One American News Network, you would start to see those opinions shift. Absolutely. Well, which is why I don't want to opposing, run those people out of people. If people stopped opposing capitalism, then capitalists might be more willing to fund you. Well, but that's the, boy, that's <laughs> I know, the I mean, I mean, I'm just right saying there. like that is a, these are, these are, the re- these are, these are issues that the left really needs to grapple with. You know because what? If, if it's all just about virtue signaling and being right and not actually about achieving anything in real life, then that strategy should continue. But if they want to actually influence policy and reality, they need to get their shit together. I think that we are just a generation or two away from billionaires, a a significant number of them buying into socialist thought. And then we'll start to see change because there's there's got to be people out there that's like, this Um, is if you define socialism so broadly that includes Yang's freedom dividend policy, then I would welcome that. But that's a semantic discussion that we 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 can have in the future. Um, 
But anyway, yeah, just scratch the surface. There'll be more, more, uh, but here's the thing is like, I like people that I can get in, in, in really, um, intense disagreements with and not get things like, you know, nasty name calling and stuff like that. And I feel like I can do that with you and the same way, but on the other side, I do think that, um, you know, and if you call me on my bullshit, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, that was bullshit. Um, I've read into it and actually I was wrong. Uh, and I think vice versa. And I, and like I said, I, I think that you're a person of good faith, which is important. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that about you and everybody else who I've asked to participate this. And, and, and I certainly believe that about Corey. I think Corey might not believe that about me anymore. I don't know. But like I said, he's in the anger stage of grief. So, um, he'll move on eventually. Well, I just think it's that, that, that um, uh, I don't know. Um, like I said, I, I don't think that you're, uh, I don't think you're an evil person, obviously. It's just more of like, the, you're not aware of how, cause I, I did listen to, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I listened to the parts that I thought were concerning to Corey and like we, because we've been, you know, Corey and I, I'll say I've been studying some of these issues and are not, you know, for, for a, going on 10 years, we're talking about, that's kind of when I started, um, really taking seriously some of the intersectional arguments about race and gender in this country. Like you just, unless you have been participating on that side, like you don't hear some of well, the I mean, things my, my wife has a master's degree and, in critical theory from the USC school of cinematic arts. Um, yeah. I was, What's I have 10 years of college like? education <laughs> under my belt. I, I, I understand that stuff better than the average person. Okay. Well then, that's I guess sometimes where we'll people be start oppose it like sometimes people oppose it not just because they don't understand it but because they do understand it but it's weird because I feel like you I don't know I, I I gotta go but I feel like this is the frustration I guess is like I felt like I made some inroads with like explaining why Sam Harris could be seen as Islamophobic even though he himself is not literally hating Muslim people but then we get to the end of the conversation and it's like no none of this really sank in no, I mean, you know? I, I think it did sink in. I, I, I take your point about the fact that Sam Harris has, you know, if he was a politician, right, then he um, would be guilty of the same problem of bad branding that I've been talking about with uh, the political left in this country, right? Mm -hmm. He clearly has not made an effort to make his ideas bumper sticker friendly so that uh, people who just hear something that Glenn Greenwald say, but don't actually read his book can come mm -hmm. away with a misperception, but that's not the role he's playing. He's not a politician. He's just a guy having conversations and people who don't want to listen to them don't have to. But he has, but that, that's the thing is that he has a massive platform asking these basic one-on-one questions and rhetorically saying, and no one wants to talk about this when there's tons and tons of people like, no, no, actually, Sam, we have a satisfying answer for your moral concern. If someone could just like pass us the microphone, because honestly, you know, the fact, you know, like, why do people hate on Christians so much in this country and not on Muslims? Because we're a Christian nation, you know, not structurally or institutionally or by law, but by culture and tradition and population. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, so, you know, I'm a person who likes to talk about ideas, right? Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting. I think ideas are the most interesting thing in the universe. Um, they're what I, I spend my time thinking about. They're what I want to talk about. Um, and but do you understand that that's a I, I just, right? I just, I, I think that there is a, a, a tendency, um, and this is, this is a neo-Marxist, um, thing, um, to say that, um, you know, all, everything is culturally constructed and that 
all that really matters is whether or not it's the lived experience of an oppressed person or an oppressor. And if it's an oppressor, they're supposed to check their privilege. And if it's an oppressed person, you're not allowed to question what they're saying. And that is you, the you opposite think that's crazy? of rational you think debate. think that's crazy? Huh. Huh. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's what critic, that's what modern critical theory does. You know, like the kind of critical theory that my, my wife studied is more like uh, film criticism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like of the academic sort, not the popular but, so kind. So why do you think if we've had 200 years of considering only one opinion in society, that it's not rational for the dawn of this new, like, hey, you know what, is this actually good or bad to actually tell those people who have had the platforms, who have written the books, who have divided the countries, who have divided the wealth amongst themselves to like, you know what, sit down and shut up and let's listen to these other people talk. You know, that's- well, I mean, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm a free speech absolutist or as close to one as you can get. Um, you know, the U.S. has uh, more robust protections of free speech than pretty much any other country in the world. And I support them. I think that those people have every right to talk, just like I think Nazis have every right to talk. But Americans kill Nazis. We aren't Nazis, you know, like so they can talk and there are going to be social consequences of that. Well, that's what I'm saying. But like you, it's it's like and the thing is, is like they're they're saying that, but they're it's it's not like they're making it illegal. They're just asking people like, hey, we're defining polite discourse now to say that we are going to give extra consideration to the voices of indigenous people and minorities at the expense of people in the majority because the yeah, majority. Yeah, yeah. But if that if that was the extent of the claim they're making, um, that would be one thing. But we're actually talking about a um, an explicitly anti-rational and anti-scientific epistemology. Uh, I disagree, but as you say, we're, we're, we're out of time. Maybe we can. Yeah. Make, yeah. Maybe, well, maybe I mean, that could be another whole conversation time. as well. Yeah. But like, I mean, that, that's, that, that's the thing though, right? Is I, you know, I, I grant you like the, as we decided, as we decided in the alt-right versus alt-left conversation, we all agreed that right now the alt-right is a bigger threat, but that doesn't mean that it's not interesting to talk about the alt-left. And, and I think it's very informative to think about the ways the alt-left and the alt-right are similar to one another. And one thing well, they have in common the is that they're both, ho- they're both hostile to liberalism, for example. One, one thing that's dissimilar is that uh, the alt-left is a label created by conservatives and fostered on the, the, the leftist and the alt right is a label that they created themselves to kind of rebrand themselves. Oh yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm honestly to, to be to be to be frank, um I I I prefer to use the global terms and I reserve the term left mm-hmm. for actual socialism. Um yeah, so but, but I I I would the, not um I would not consider the vast majority of Democrats to even ca- be left. Casually right. throwing so a I'm, bomb I'm comfortable left. just saying left. But casually throwing a bomb at uh, like alt left at the end of a podcast is the kind of shit that gets you in trouble, Rio. I think it's kind of like me saying like, okay, well, enclosing, enclosing, you know, Rio Republican is a uh, is an imperialist that uh, wants to keep his money at the expense of all the brown babies. Good night, everybody. You know, it's like that's uh, that's not a a neutral term. I mean, it wasn't an ad hominem against you. So there's an important distinction. But I I feel like there's a lot of people would describe me as alt left, especially if you get right of center in this country. And by the way, what you said, what you said about me isn't even necessarily true, apart from the brown part. Right. Like I, it's more like I'm it's more like I'm an imperialist who wants to keep his money and I'm uh, color. I prefer I think society should be colorblind. <laughs> yeah, no, I as I was saying, like, yeah, what can I actually say that would would be, uh, you know, and, and like because that's the thing. Like, I feel like that's the thing the right has or the conservatives have. They they maybe you're right about this branding. You do have the stuff that um, kind of dog whistles and gets under the skin a lot better than we do. For sure. 
Um, okay. Yeah, I don't, I actually don't necessarily mean it that way. Um, and, and one thing that's really cool about the moving forward podcast is that a lot of people listen to every single episode. Um, and I guess that results in me being a little bit less careful about absolutely every single statement that I make. I mean, it would be really hard to have a broad ranging conversation like the one we just had if I had to spend an hour explaining what I mean by every single term that I use. Right. So what I would prefer to do is to say like, yeah, let's put a pin in that and we'll have a more deep dive about that in another episode. Mm -hmm. I just think we should look because I try very because I come from a very conservative background, um, not just fiscally, but but socially. And I try to engage in discourse defensively against that sometimes it gets me in trouble on the left because I try to like explain, you know, um, you, you can get in trouble just by trying to say people, you know, like trying to draw a distinction between people who are structurally racist and actually racist, you know. Um, you can get in trouble in, in some segments of the left just trying to make that distinction. Um, yeah, no, that's that's true. Um, and uh, yeah, but I well, there's 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 a lot of different things going on, and 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 we don't, you know, we're, we need to wrap up, so we'll get into it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I mean, I agree with that. I I don't I don't think that any movement or coalition is cohesive. There are there's going to be misunderstandings and disagreements, um, even among people on the left or the right. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so that's why we need to do deep dives because I, I would I would love nothing more than to you know have a whole hour long conversation with you just about property rights or just about intersection. I would too. That'd be fucking awesome. Um, or actually, what I what what needs to happen is we have the introductory conversation, then we go back to our corners, research everybody else's claims, and then come back and synthesize that and do that again and again until we come at that something that's approximate approximates truth. That's well, if my, you want to research my claims about. Uh, <laughs> capitalism and the enlightenment um definitely recommend pinker's book enlightenment now i think that oh yeah i want to write I'm suggesting down. it i mean obviously you know you you'll you'll want to uh to look into other perspectives as well but i'm suggesting it because i just think it's the it's the 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 the, the book i've read that offers the most compelling hard evidence for that position well hey if it's uh i mean if it's foundational to your some of your political thoughts sounds like i should read it no matter what i think of it because uh, well, you're, yeah, you you're know. gonna be reading a lot of books because you know, I'm, as as <laughs> with your case, I'm sure you know there's a, a library full of books that I would need to read to understand your perspective fully. Sure, sure, and like lived experiences, all that kind of stuff. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, you know, I, I thought this it makes a really good counterpoint to uh, Corey's participation, and I really look forward to uh, getting into it with you on moving forward because, uh, um. I yeah, it, I, I think that's what what needs to happen. Like we're living through another one of these political realignments. And, you know, as as I always say on the, po the podcast, I'm really shooting towards the Star Trek utopia and away from the Mad Max dystopia. And I think we're aligned on that. And I think we can do a lot of good together for a, for a long time until we get to the places where we might have to part ways. Um, yeah, no, I suspect we have more in common than not. I think that's true about most people. Um, that's part of what's dangerous about, um, you know, tribal labels is, you know, when people start identifying as a conservative or a progressive, they feel like they, they have to agree with everything every other conservative says or everything every other progressive says. I prefer the framing of, you know, everybody is a little bit of both at least. And we just maybe are, you know, some of us are a little more toward one side than the other. But mm -hmm. most of us admit that there's something about society that we should conserve. And most of us would admit that there are things about society that we could stand to improve. All right. I appreciate Rio for coming on and hashing things out with me. As I said, I think there's a lot of positive progress 
that reasonable conservatives can make with progressives on specific policy points, and that we shouldn't in any case ever stop talking because I think the reasonable people can be persuaded by facts and good arguments. And that's how we move public opinion. That's how we win on issues. And that's how we get good policy passed. Election reform, election security, health care, climate change, lots of things we can work together on. But I'm also not interested in papering over the serious differences that we have or taking losses when it comes to things like human rights to win compromises in other areas or or maximize protection of monetary wealth and property over human life and dignity. And I'm really looking forward to sparring more with Rio in the future. And if you're looking forward to that, too, then good news, because I'm going to be on every month or every other month or so on the Moving Forward podcast talking about policy, politics and society with Rio Publican again over at their podcast Moving Forward. Head over to movingforwardpod.com to subscribe to your favorite podcast app. And you know what? In case it should cross your mind to worry, don't. Because my participation on Moving Forward will not impact or alter uh, my participation and hosting duties here on Three Right Turns on Swizzbold in any way. It's not going to happen. But I am looking forward to be on a Moving Forward. If you want to follow up on any of the topics from the podcast, please send those thoughts in to 3RT at Swizzbold.com. You can also discuss the pod with our community on Reddit at r slash Swizzbold. I don't think there are many places where you can hear these kinds of conversations on these kinds of topics. If you agree and would like to support Three Right Turns Continuing, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash swizzbold. Each month, we do a special subscriber-only stream where Jim, Cecily, and myself unite to talk about politics and culture, hang out with the chat, and consider topics suggested by our Patreon community. Our next live stream will be tonight, September 2nd at 9 p.m. How exciting! Right here tonight. Join us live, or you can get an archive of the previous streams. Uh, not just this one, but all the ones we've done. We're, we're coming up hard on a year of service here. Um, but you can do all that by joining up at patreon.com slash swizzbold. In each episode, we like to personally thank all of our Fred Level patrons over on Patreon. A heartfelt thank you goes to Greg Rasp, Laura Luthi, Lisa Singleton, Arvind Rao, Jared Harrelman, Kira Grusho, Angela Marano, Brian Rasmussen, Jenny. Brandon DeVito, George P. Burdell, James Taylor, Jordan Hoyt, and Mark Hahn. Thank you, thank you, thank you to you all. We couldn't do it without you. Next week, I'll be back on with Cecily to consider at least, at least one, guaranteed one weird trick on how you can better work, live, and love on Swizzbold's other bi-weekly podcast, One Weird Trick, which you can find at swizzbold.com or on your favorite podcast app. And then the following week, of course, I'll be back with another three right turns. Until next time, have a great rest of your week. 